Welcome everyone to Soccer Made in Portland. I'm your host, Jamie Goldberg. I'm here with Caitlin Murray, and we have a lot to talk about coming out of the Timbers and Thorns games this weekend. Kind of a lot of controversy uh, coming out of these two games. Yes, I think that is the theme of this weekend. (laughs) Controversy, mostly brought on by incompetent refereeing, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. (laughs) Yeah, let's not give our opinions yet. Uh, (laughs) I don't know what else we'll have to talk about the entire time. (laughs) Uh, Before we get there, I do. I I think the beginning segment of this show has just become the let's get to know Caitlin segment. Uh, So before we get into... That's going to get old real quick. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, uh... We guessed my middle name for, I, I think, six months, so you, you really don't know. <laughs> that was know. the longest running game. It, yeah. it was. <laughs> um, but let's, we do have a listener question for you, Caitlin, and Jason wants to know, where are you from? Yeah, I want to thank Jason for the question. He called my accent charming, which I appreciated. <laughs> Someone else commented on my accent, and they were less complimentary. So thank you, Jason. Uh, I'm from Buffalo, New York, originally, so... The accent that you hear is, I guess, sort of a Great Lakes, Midwestern sort of accent. We really stretch out our vowel sounds. (laughs) Uh, When Jason asked me this question, I actually did some research because I was curious, like, what makes my accent my accent? Because I don't hear my accent. I, I don't know that I have one. So I learned that we really stretch out our vowels. They're very harsh sounding. So, yeah, that's where I'm from. You know, I've been in Portland for a few years, and I haven't detected a Portland, Oregon accent. Maybe there is one, and I just haven't noticed it. But any listeners, I'm curious, what is the Portland, Oregon accent? Yeah, I don't know if there is one either. And I, I mean, maybe maybe our listeners will, uh, you know, teach us something. But yeah, <laughs> um, I also like where I'm coming from in San Francisco. I I don't even know if, if we have an accent. I've never felt like there's I don't a think you do. specific yeah. California access uh, accent, more just sort of terms and things like that. But uh, so I'm kind of jealous. <laughs> I think California does have sort of an accent. People talk about the Valley Girl accent, yeah. but sort of the defining characteristic is that it is like accent neutral, <laughs> basically. It's yeah. like how broadcasters talk. I clearly don't sound like a broadcaster. I would ha- I would have to get rid of this if <laughs> if I want a career in broadcast. So I'll just stick to podcasting for now. We have stuff to talk about. Uh, I think we have a lot of good things to talk mm-hmm. about, uh, Timbers and Thorns related, a lot of good info to get out there. So let's jump right into it. Timbers at Minnesota. I, I think the general consensus from online was that no one was felt really strongly about the point system. So I, I think I'm just going to run through our predictions and, and we can just be yeah sad about how <laughs> wrong we are most weeks. Which, uh, that will be the predominant emotion, I think. Yes. Yeah. Um, I predicted a 2-1 Timbers win. That did not happen. The Timbers lost one to nothing. I predicted a Bobasi goal. He did not start. Yeah. He was the only starter that was on the bench. <laughs> You were closer to what I thought was going to happen in terms of the draw element to it, although you thought there'd be more goals to to draw uh, with Valeri scoring on a PK. Again, not what happened, and I don't think no. either of us could have predicted exactly what happened in that Minnesota game. Let's start with the big thing coming out of that match. Andrew asks, how can you overturn a non-penalty call when you don't even see the ball hitting Mabiala's arm? Yeah, I mean, the the term that we hear so much is clear and obvious. That's the standard for VAR to overturn a call. And that wasn't clear or obvious. And, that, like, literally was not clear or obvious in the angles on TV. I mean, there was one angle that was on the wrong side. So the ball supposedly hit Mabiala's right arm, but we were looking from the left side of his body, so his left arm was kind of in the way. We couldn't really see what happened. Then there was this other angle that I don't know why it was so blurry. It looked like it was shot from like a mile away. Um, You couldn't see anything in that angle either. And so because it wasn't clear or obvious, I was really surprised that Chris Penso, the referee, overturned his own call on the field because during the play... He was really decisive. He put his arms out. He said, no handball, no penalty. He waved it off as safe. And then he went back and looked at it and overturned his own call, despite the fact that there wasn't any really good evidence. I mean, I was shocked by that. What did you think? 
Yeah, I, I was absolutely shocked. Uh, it's demoralizing, obviously, for the Timbers, this penalty kick coming in stoppage time. It really felt like this game was going to end in a scoreless draw. I think two parts for me, Mabiala needs knows better. Than, than, yeah, I don't know, you know what he was doing. He looked like he was yeah. like swimming or like doing a, you know, diving <laughs> off a board or something. I don't know what he was yeah. doing. Absolutely. He should not have his arm in that position. It leaves it open for a call like that uh, being called. That said, I, I completely agree with you. Whatever call happened on the field, and if Penzo had wanted to call a PK on the field, then I would be fine with that. My problem is that whatever call happened on the field, in my opinion, should have been the one to stand mm-hmm. because there was no clear and obvious error. Uh, unless... MLS has access and the VAR has access to video that we didn't see on the broadcast on ESPN. They were saying that this is the video that the ref is seeing. Yeah. So we're basing it off that unless MLS has video from a different angle, something that is less grainy, in which case I I really think they should release it to the public. So, so there's less anger around this, but unless they have that, I think the broadcasters do have access to what the VAR yeah, replay is. That's what they said. And I, I think that Penso probably had a better view in real time because he was he was standing there and he was so decisive in his call on the field that I have to think he saw it in real time. I'm guessing he probably had a better view then. So yeah, it's it's pretty surprising. Yeah, so that is a tough, tough loss for the Timbers uh, to almost get a point there and not be able to do that especially turning around and going to play Minnesota again on Wednesday. Let's talk a little bit more about Sunday's game, how it played out up until that point. I don't think it was a particularly good game for, from my opinion, from other, from either side. I I didn't think the Timbers looked that great in the attack. Um, I didn't think Minnesota looked that great. I thought both defenses were pretty good, Uh, but the Timbers are shut out for the first time since May. I, I, I think one thing that, there was a lot, some, a lot of talk coming out of this game. We saw um, Matt Doyle talking about this, and, and I, I think whenever Fernandez doesn't score, this is going to come up. So mm-hmm. hitting a question from Stu, Stu wants to know, uh, seems like Fernandez has been more frustrated the last several games. Does he require a certain quality of service? Can he create chances for himself? Or are defenses just figuring him out? Yeah, I think that was the the big talking point coming out of this game was first the the handball and how weird that was that it was overturned. Another thing was Brian Fernandez. Why hasn't he been scoring? What do the Timbers need to do to get more out of him? Taylor Twellman brought it up on the broadcast that yeah. Brian Fernandez isn't the sort of number nine you can play through. We have a listener question from RCTID asking about this as well. And... I think it's an interesting question because Fernandez, when he played for Nakaha in Liga Mekis, he was at his best when he played as a right winger for them. And I think the reason that the Timbers opted to use him as a number nine is because they had acquired Jorge Morea, and his job was to bomb forward, send crosses, provide service, and occupy that space on the right side. And if that's how the Timbers wanted to use Morea... They needed someone on the right wing who was going to track back and offer defensive cover, whether that's Andy Polo, Jeremy Bobasi, Andres Flores, Marvin Luria, whoever it is, those are guys who, when they're on the right side, they put in a defensive performance where they track back and they provide cover for Morea when he's getting forward. The problem is Brian Fernandez isn't really that type of player. He's not as defensive as those other guys. So I think the Timbers, because they had figured things out with Marrera on the right side. I think they didn't want to mess that up. So the easiest thing to do when Brian Fernandez arrived was put him up top, make him the number nine. That will affect the rest of what the Timbers are doing the least. It won't have the ripple effect that putting Fernandez on the right would have had. I think Fernandez is clearly his best when he can get him behind back lines. And we've seen that as a number nine, that's how he tends to score goals. It's when he has space to run into. And if a team isn't going to give him that space, it's going to be a lot harder for him to do something. When Jeremy Obobese is on the field, we see that Brian Fernandez is better because Jeremy Obobese is someone who he can hold up the ball, he can play with his back to goal, he can combine with the players around him, create space. That helps a player like Fernandez. 
So the question is, what should the Timbers do now, given all this information, given all these circumstances? And I think they have two options. They can look at putting Fernandez on the wing, and they will have to figure out what to do with Marrera. I think he'll have to stay home more. He's just going to have to stay back and defend. And then Jeremy Obobese can play as the number nine. Or they can switch to a 4-4-2, where Fernandez and Obobese are up top together. I mean, we talked about this last week. I don't think that crossing is the best way to attack. I think maybe sacrifice what Marrera is giving you going forward. Have him stay home more. Put Fernandez on the right wing. Because the other thing is, if Marrera is pushing up field and he's crossing the ball and they lose possession, I think the Timbers are really vulnerable to counterattacks on Marrera's side, even when they have someone who's going to be tracking back. I just think that... Maybe the best solution is to try Brian Fernandez on the right wing, have Marrero stay home more, let Jeremy Obobese play the number nine, just see how it works. That was a long answer. I apologize. What do you think, Jamie? Yeah, I think to play the devil's advocate a little bit, I'm not sure that this idea that defenses have figured Fernandez out and the Timbers have to make a change for him to be more effective at this point is is as accurate as it may feel. I, I mean, you look at it, he has only scored, not scored for the last two games. He scored two goals against Seattle. And you look even this weekend in Minnesota, where I think the whole team came out a little bit flat. Fernandez still has the Timbers' best two chances in the game. He, put, he puts a shot off the post and, and he heads a ball in the second half over the bar. I think he was immediately better when Jeremy Abobasi was on the field. And, and mm-hmm. that didn't necessarily necessitate him moving to the wing. Right. I, I think he can be better just by having Abobasi on the field as a player that is adjusting this wide position, but still brings things that a regular number nine brings coming into the box, like, like the holdup play that Abobasi can provide. So I, I think when those two start, the Timbers are, are better overall in the attack. Mm-hmm. I also think when you look at the games in which Fernandez has played, and I, 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 obviously there are different factors for this, but I think one of those factors is that he's just opening up space for other players as well as himself uh, because defenses have to pay attention to him. Mm-hmm. The Timbers have scored 21 goals in his 11 appearances so far this year, which is tremendous. Yeah, I think that it would be interesting for the Timbers at some point now within the next few games to at least test Fernandez on the wing and, and see what that looks like with the Bobasi moving into his natural spot in the number nine and what Fernandez looks like in more of a winger position. I, I think it's an option they should, they have, and they should see how it's going to work, but I'm not as concerned as I, I think you saw Taylor Twelman talking about, it, you saw Matt Doyle talking about it. I'm not yet to that point where I, I, I'm looking at this team and saying they have to make a change mm-hmm. uh, because Fernandez is, is not as effective. I, I mean, two games ago, we were talking about his two goals in Seattle. The way I think about it is, you know, we, we've talked enough about can the Timbers beat teams that are bunkering. I think it kind of goes along with that conversation. Can Brian Fernandez be as effective against those teams that aren't giving him space to race into? And if not, if he's not getting that space, then I do think he probably needs a player like Jeremy Obobese on the field because, you know, maybe we want more finishing out of Obobese, but he's very good with uh, his back-to-goal holding up the ball and creating space for the players around him. So I, I think maybe, you know, when we talk about the Timbers being able to dominate against bunkering teams, maybe that's part of it. And, you know, whether it's Obobese on the wing, whether they're switching to a 4-4-2, where it's Obobese and Fernandez up top together, or whether it's moving Fernandez to the wing, I think they have a lot of options and they have the personnel to have different looks. And I think that is only a positive thing because these are good players and it's just, how do you get the best out of them? Yeah. So I, on Sunday, obviously I don't think the the Timbers got the best out of their players. Like, like I said earlier, I don't think that either team really was able to find a rhythm. Yeah. I, I think the passes were a little off. I, I think Valeri's also a player that, you know, didn't really have his best game. But this is despite the fact that the Timbers did start their top lineup at this game. Um, And Mm -hmm. first game of five games in 15 days. How did you feel about Savarasi's choice? It it obviously didn't work out with the results or necessarily the performance. But how do you feel about his choice to to throw the top lineup out in this game? Yeah, I mean, we talked about it in last week's podcast. We were convinced 
that we would see more of a second choice lineup and that they would start their first choice lineup against uh, Minnesota for the Open Cup this week. So I was really surprised, not just, you know, because I think the Open Cup is probably the more important fixture at this point, not just because I think that, you know, in a way game in Minnesota is the sort of game you're not really expecting to win anyway, but just because, like you said, this is starting a stretch where the Timbers have five games in, what is it, 15, 16 days coming up? Yeah. There's, they have to play a game almost every three days, and knowing that, I'm not sure it was necessary to start the first-choice lineup. The sense that I get is I think Giovanni Savarese's default approach is to just try to win every game, then assess how the players are doing and how they've recovered, and then rotate when it becomes necessary. But I was still surprised. I think you can look at the schedule and say, we're going to have to rotate at some point. This is a game we don't fully expect to win. We don't need to start our first choice lineup. I was very surprised. Yeah, I, I feel like it, it might have been a mistake. And, and obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty. The Timbers lost the game. So at, at this point, the feeling can be they, they could have put out all T2 players and it would have been the same result, but they would have had more players well-rested. Yeah. But even going into the game, like you said, it didn't feel like a game that the Timbers were guaranteed to win. This was a Minnesota team that had been playing well, that was playing at home. And I do think the U.S. Open Cup game on Wednesday is more important when you look on the schedule and you look at all the chances the Timbers have to get points. I also think, looking at the schedule further ahead, if this ends up putting them in a position where they're going to rotate against Vancouver on Saturday that could end up being a real mistake. Mm -hmm. Uh, If they don't win that game because they rotate, we're going to really be looking back at this week and and questioning Savarese's decisions. Yeah. So, I mean, we talked a little bit about it going to this game. Um, Given that the Timbers play Vancouver on Saturday, do you think that we'll see the rotation happen uh, in Minnesota on Wednesday? Do you think there'll be a few rotations in both games? What are you sort of expecting from the Timbers lineups the rest of this week? Honestly, I I have no idea because I was totally expecting that we would see some rotation for the other game in MLS play, and the Timbers would go for the Open Cup. So I really don't know at this point. And I think whatever the Timbers do uh, tomorrow, as of this recording, Wednesday, against Minnesota, that's going to tell us a lot about how much the Timbers care about the Open Cup, because I think when you ask coaches or GMs or, you know, you ask people at clubs, they always say that it's important, but, you know, talk is cheap. I mean, this is going to show us how much Giovanni Savarese cares about the Open Cup. Yeah, I think if you look last year when they played LAFC back-to-back in MLS and in the Open Cup midweek in the quarterfinals, what Savarese did was he played a top lineup in that MLS game, and then he made several rotations, mm-hmm. but still put out close to a top lineup in that Wednesday game. He also changed his formation, giving a sort of LA a different look in both games against LAFC. So, I, if I were to guess, and clearly uh, trying to predict what Giovanni Savarese <laughs> is going to do is not easy. So we'll see. But if I were to guess, I'd say that we're still going to see a strong lineup. We might see, if not a formation change, some sort of tactical shift. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, but I do expect at least several rotations. I absolutely expect a Bobasi to start yeah, and I think be so. a central piece of this attack because he's going to be the one regular starter that's well-rested for this game. Yeah, I would be shocked if it's not a pretty strong lineup. Like, he's not going to be putting out T2 players. Yeah. Um, I think it will be a strong lineup. And I do think he was probably saving Obobese for yeah. this game and maybe wasn't even expecting having to put him on um, in the the game on uh, Sunday. So, uh, yeah, I agree with that. So do you think that the Timbers, given sort of how demoralizing that loss was coming on, on such a controversial penalty kick, they have to stay in Minnesota now, turn around and play the same team. Do you think that they're going to be able to recover in time to put in the performance we want to see from them Wednesday? I think playing the same team again and having the loss that they had is only going to motivate them to try to get some vindication out of this trip where, you know, 
<laughs> they've spent a lot of time in Minnesota, so they want to leave this trip with something to show for it. And players talk all the time about, you know, we ask them about tough, you know, quick turnarounds after losses, and they always say that they they like the opportunity to move on quickly and not dwell on a loss. I mean, after a loss, the players are ready to give it another go. They want to be able to make up for a bad performance. So I expect that the Timbers maybe will look more up for this game than they did the one on Sunday. I mean, the conditions on Sunday weren't great. Like, it was really hot. Um, That game shouldn't have been played in the afternoon, but it was for TV time. I, I don't know if the Timbers looked like they had the most energy in that game. Neither team did. They both looked pretty sluggish. I think we'll see a more invigorated team for the Open Cup game. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I think I was going to bring up the weather, too. I think that the humidity, they had to have water breaks in that game on Sunday. I, I think that definitely played a role in, in both teams, just not really being uh, on their A game. I think it will be better. Uh, I I don't think fatigue will play that much of a role in this game because even though it's a quick turnaround, the Timbers haven't had to travel. Mm -hmm. They've been able to stay in Minnesota, so that's the one benefit of playing the same team. They haven't had to waste a travel day. They've just been able to train. So I expect them to come out and be refreshed for this game, and I I think they've shown that they're not a team that sort of caves under the pressure. They have been able to rebound, so there's no reason to think that they're not going to be able to turn around after this loss and, and come in with new energy for Wednesday's game. Absolutely. Heading into Vancouver... I think, like I mentioned, it's it's hard to really predict the lineup without seeing the lineup for Wednesday's game. But they are facing a Vancouver team that's 11th in the Western Conference right now, has just had an awful season, a goal differential of negative 17. <laughs> um, they, they've they've uh, only scored 25 goals this season. That's worse than the, at least the Western Conference, I think. Looks like FC Cincinnati is uh, even worse than that in the Eastern Conference. But what what has gone wrong with Vancouver this year? I I don't know. I I feel like if I had a really good answer for that, I might be a coach in MLS. <laughs> Maybe someone would have hired me. But I I mean, it seems like they've made a lot of mistakes, a lot of defensive breakdowns. Um, I kind of am wondering if they have the personnel to execute. Uh, what their coach Mark DeSantis wants them to do they do what bad teams do which is they bunker and the reason bad teams bunker is because it works bad teams can squeeze out results by doing that but that hasn't even been enough for Vancouver because they just have failed to execute and they've just made a ton of mistakes so um I I don't know what it is I mean that's (laughs) that's something they really need to get a handle on yeah, I think the two points you mentioned, one, the fact that they bunker is going to be interesting for this game because that's what we've talked about. The Timbers still do have to prove that they can beat or they can put in a good performance, find goals against a team that's going to bunker, mm-hmm. especially at home. They're going to want three points against Vancouver on Saturday. Anything less, I think, was going to be a pretty big disappointment. Yeah. And this is their opportunity to show that they can adjust after that Orlando, after that Colorado game and compete against a team that's going to bunker and hasn't been particularly effective at it this season. Um, but I, I think in terms of, you you said it, in terms of personnel, Vancouver doesn't have the personnel. They changed their entire roster in the offseason, and I don't think they did anything to actually get better (laughs) right it was just like like for like swaps of like more bad players yeah (laughs) yeah so I I think I mean clearly coming out of last season there was a lot of uh issues with that organization in turn in terms of internally uh there was a lot going on I think they were trying to change the culture a little bit by uh making a lot of personnel changes but that clearly hasn't worked I don't think Vancouver is a good team and I think this is going to be a winnable game for the Timbers. The only question mark for me is how they perform against a bunkering team and what lineup they put out there. Are they going to put out a lineup that's good enough to beat Vancouver at home? And I really hope they do because I think this is a very winnable game that they need. Yeah, and I think it's obviously getting three points at home. Like when you map out the season, this is a game that absolutely the Timbers 
want and need to win probably, you know, to meet their goals for the season. I also think just like mentally and, you know, we don't need to dwell on this. We've talked about it a lot, but mentally confidence wise, beating a bunkering team is going to be important for them. Being able to do it at home where, you know, that's, that's the recipe now, Colorado Rapids, Orlando city, that's what teams do when they come to province park and they don't think they can beat the Timbers. So just from a mental standpoint, I think it's important that the Timbers will be able to figure this out and win. Well, big week of soccer, obviously, for the Timbers. Before we move on to the Thorns and talk about some more controversy and another big week of soccer, it's the hot take segment. We've brought it back, second week in a row. I think I went first last time. So, Caitlin, what is your hot take? So my hot take, I don't think is super hot because I think people (laughs) actually agree with me Um, and this is something we talk about a lot but the Open Cup needs to be revamped no one cares about it it just sort of exists and there's no excitement around it and I I just think they need to make some major changes to get people interested in it I think that what they can do is I think they should change the format. I think it should be more like the NCAA March Madness because I don't even care about college basketball. And you can bet that I know when March Madness is going on. I filled out some brackets in my day, just guessing based on like mascots and team colors. (laughs) It's fun. And the Open Cup isn't fun. It's drawn out. They do a draw between every round. So you kind of don't know who's going to be matched up or where they're going to be, how it's going to work. So I think they should just do a straight-up bracket where it's fixed and the teams just navigate through the bracket, just like March Madness. I also think that MLS teams need to enter the competition earlier because there are MLS teams that are going to go through the whole tournament only playing against MLS teams. That's not fun. The whole appeal of the Open Cup is that you have these – you know, surprising Cinderella runs where a lower tier team beats an MLS team. Those are the stories that we all want and that are fun and that get you excited. And it's the same with March Madness. When a team that has a terrible seed beats a higher seeded team, that's really exciting. So I think MLS teams need to get into the competition earlier. So there are more of those matchups where you get the David versus Goliath. And I think U.S. soccer just needs to put a little more effort into this competition, get a title sponsor, get the games on TV. We have to watch uh, the Timbers versus Minnesota on ESPN+. Plus. I'd love to see those games on TV. So I would just like to see a little more inventive thinking about this. The Open Cup is very unique. There's no other competition like it in American soccer. And because MLS doesn't have promotion relegation, this is really the only chance for those wild Cinderella runs. So, like, lean into it. Make it more possible for those to happen. Yeah, I I don't disagree with any of that. I, I think getting it on TV, getting things like a title sponsor are things that can and should happen because... Obviously, there would be more interest around it if you could actually watch it and there was just a little bit more investment into making this something that people want to care about. I think there are some challenges that I I think there would have to be money that U.S. soccer would be investing. I think there's already some, but even more into helping these lower division clubs travel is difficult. And I, I think that's one of the big reasons why you have the regional draws, which are boring and uninteresting (laughs) when the same four teams play each other over and over and over again. But to get past that, you have to have the money for these lower division teams to travel across the country, especially that early in the tournament. Uh, So I think that is a challenge, Uh, but I would like to see something. I would like to some people to get in a room and think about inventive ways to make this a little bit more interesting because I think right now it is interesting. I think right now it is important now that you're sort of looking and saying, wow, CONCACAF Champions League's on the line. Who's going to win? It's not as cool as if a Cinderella story was in there. But at this point, I think Timbers fans are probably behind, Not maybe not the casual fans, but most Timbers fans that are, are following along are probably more invested in this run. Mm-hmm. But when you have to wait till the quarterfinals, semifinals to have really any interest, 
clearly there's things that need to be done with the tournament. Yeah, and I will say it's a hot take to be like, fix this, but uh, not be realistic about the possibility (laughs) of that happening. So I'm not trying to be too hot because I realize this is a difficult thing to figure out. And I mean, the soccer calendar is just so crowded. I think it would be difficult to set up a March Madness style uh, tournament. And, but, I mean, I do think if they could figure out a way to have these games happen in a certain period of time and have the same period of time every year and kind of allow the tournament to be a little more condensed so people can kind of follow it and get excited and not have it drag on for what feels like forever, I think that would be a lot better. I mean, it's a very difficult thing to do. There's so much soccer all the time. Um Money is obviously an issue, and you know if you're talking about investing money in the Open Cup, let's talk about investing money in the NWSL, or you know investing money in youth soccer and girls academies and that sort of stuff. I mean, there are a lot of things to think about, but I think they should at least try to do something. I I just haven't seen enough sort of outside the box thinking as far as the Open Cup, so. We'll see. I'm not really expecting anything, and I have a feeling this will be a take year after year for everyone. <laughs> but anyway, your turn, Jamie. What's your hot take? I feel like I may. I don't know if I've had this hot take before, but talking about year after year hot takes, I've definitely talked about refereeing <laughs> year after year after year. Um, but I'm going to sort of talk about refereeing. I think the NWSL needs far, and I think it needs it now. Um, I, I it's kind of interesting saying that coming out of the Timbers game where VAR was essentially used, in in my opinion, inappropriately uh, Mm -hmm. to award Minnesota a penalty kick and and led to Minnesota winning that game. But I still think overall VAR is an improvement. There is a lot of work that needs to be done. You saw at the World Cup the way it was used against goalkeepers coming off their line on penalty kicks. I think that is a terrible way to use VAR. Yes. But I I think when you have VAR, the hope is you're going to get more calls right. And we're going to get into it with the Thorns and why this is coming up this week with the penalty kicks that I believe were missed. If you have VAR, you can correct those mistakes on the field. I also think that you, it it sort of convinces players to maybe not be as reckless or or dangerous with their fouls. You look at Mm -hmm. some of the fouls that Thorns have taken over the last few weeks. Ellie Carpenter is still out. She's going to be out uh, on Wednesday against the rain and and might be back in time for Sunday against North Carolina because of a bad tackle from Kelly O'Hara. I think if you know you have VAR, that's a tackle that maybe a defender thinks twice about. Mm -hmm. They they just have to be a little bit less reckless because they know a video is going to look at every move. And so MLS has integrated. It was in the Women's World Cup. The NWSL needs to hurry up and get VAR. I know they're going to need to train refs for that. That's clearly a problem. Refs in the NWSL clearly need more training, as we're about to get into in general. (laughs) Um, I don't know if that's a hot take. It might be, but um, I, I think it, I think they should be following the lead of MLS and the World Cup on this. There's no reason not to integrate that into their game. Yeah, I mean, that take isn't hot because I think every NWSL fan agrees with you. I think that is the popular sentiment. Um, I think it, you know, sort of like I just talked about, you know, we need to change the Open Cup and you're like, well, that'll cost money. I think it's sort of the same thing with VAR, which is do all the stadiums in the NWSL have the infrastructure? You know what I mean? Like some of these stadiums are not a super um state of the art (laughs) i'll just put it that way um so i mean that's one factor to think about i'm not a huge fan of vir i i don't really like it i think if anyone followed my tweets during the world cup one of my (laughs) favorite recurring tweets was var stinks pass it on i would say that every time var ruined a game which happened a lot um so i don't I don't love VAR, but I mean, we're going to get into it with the thorns, so I won't step on our thorn segment, but the refereeing in the NWSL is not good, and it would absolutely benefit from video replay, because 
what we have seen over seven seasons in the NWSL is we cannot expect NWSL level referees to make the correct calls on the field. And like you said, I think it leads to reckless and dangerous plays because players think they can get away with it. And if player safety is important, then you absolutely need VAR. I think it's less about getting calls right and just about protecting players because we have seen some nasty tackles in the NWSL. Absolutely. So we've danced around it. We might as well get right into it, talking about why VAR would be a nice thing to have had in the NWSL this weekend, um, especially in the Thorns games. We were way off on our predictions, so we can just (laughs) run through those really fast. I thought the Thorns would beat Sky Blue 3-0. to with a midge purse brace midge purse had some something else <laughs> she was very active she's very involved in the game just a no brace, brace of what should have been penalties um a brace of getting just smashed yes exactly <laughs> um you predicted a 2-1 win and a lucy header i no. now can't remember if she got in the game late or not but um yeah Thorns have had trouble with Sky Blue, but beyond having trouble with Sky Blue, let's start with the the main focus coming out of that game. Referee Mark Allerton calls a penalty kick, called one penalty kick in favor of the Thorns uh, that Christine Sinclair buried um, when Rasso was taken down in the box in the first half. There was two other situations, one where Purse was pushed down in the box in the first half and one where Purse was tackled. Uh, the defender tackled what looked near her ankle. Um in the second half. So let's go through all three. How do you think that though each of those three calls should have, should have been gone? So I rewatched the broadcast because I wanted to see all of these again. And just a quick mini hot take. The NWSL needs to get better announcers. Whoever <laughs> was calling that game kept calling Midge Purse Elizabeth Ball. They have numbers on their backs. Midge Purse was wearing a headband. Elizabeth Ball was not. They played different positions. <laughs> like, it was absurd. He did that multiple times in the game. That's really embarrassing. Please do better, NWSL. So anyway, with that out of the way. Uh, <laughs> um, so let's go through the three potential penalty, non-penalty calls one by one. So I think the First one was in the 31st minute. Uh, Lewandowski comes behind Purse, pushes her in the back, didn't even try to play the ball, just sort of tried to go through Purse, which I'm pretty sure, I'm not a soccer expert, I don't think you can do that. I don't think you can just go through people. So for me, that was a really blatant and obvious penalty. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Uh, that was obviously not called. Um, <laughs> yeah. The referee determined that for whatever reason, this is why I think the NWSL needs VAR. Um, let play continue on that. But yeah, I, I think that absolutely should have been a penalty for the Thorns. I think the referee, after the fact, realized that that should have been a penalty because then we get to the actual penalty that was called on Haley Rosso. And in that play... I didn't think that was even remotely a penalty. I mean, it was sort of shoulder to shoulder. Johnson sort of nudges Rosso. I thought everyone on the field seemed confused as to why the referee pointed to the spot. The Thorns didn't even seem to celebrate it. I mean, am I wrong? Or was that a total non-penalty that he used to make up for the one that he didn't call earlier? Yeah, I, I agree with you. Maybe, maybe everyone outside of the referee has is in agreement here. But um, yeah, no, I, I, I didn't think that should have been PK. I, I think yeah, there was a little bit of content uh, contact, but ultimately Johnson comes in, goes shoulder to shoulder after slightly after Rasso's kicked the ball. I didn't think there was really enough there for it to be a PK. I think it was really harsh, but it seemed like a makeup call for for him missing the what should have been in PK on Paris a few minutes before. Yeah, like I said, I just, I went back and watched these again, and everyone on the field just looked confused. <laughs> like, the Thorns players weren't celebrating. They were sort of, like, looking around like, huh, what happened? Um, so that was weird. And I think that is an indictment of the refereeing that he had to make up that call because the one before was so blatantly a penalty. But then we're going to get to maybe the most egregious one in the 84th minute. Dorsey comes... From behind, sort of to the side, I would say maybe diagonally, but from behind and just slides right into Purse's ankle, doesn't get the ball, had 
probably no realistic expectation that she would get the ball because, again, she was just trying to go through purse, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it was funny. Mark Parsons was saying uh, at, at training that at first, from his view, he just assumed it was a corner kick, so he wasn't actually that upset because he, he couldn't necessarily see the play quite clearly uh, from from where he was standing. But then when they call a goal kick, he's wondering, well, how is that a goal kick? How, how in the world did the ball come off Midge Purse if the defender didn't just completely knock her to the ground? And right. I thought that was a pretty good point. Um, yeah, I, I thought that was terrible. I, I, I think that should not have only been a penalty. I think that should have probably been a red card. Uh, the fact that that wasn't called is absurd. And ultimately, had the Thorns converted that penalty kick right there, had that opportunity, they they probably would have been walking away with three points. So I, I think yeah. the Thorns have every reason to feel very, very frustrated coming out of this game. And, I mean, it was, it was a nasty tackle. And there was yeah. a moment there where I think we were kind of worried about Mitch Purse yeah. and, you know, how bad that tackle was. So, I mean, we're fortunate that – and I think everyone is glad that she – you know, it was okay. But going back to what you said about VAR, like it's about player protection. And I think yeah. if Dorsey knows that that's going to be reviewed, she probably doesn't go in for a tackle like that. Like that was, that was pretty reckless in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. I think clearly you, you can't look at the game without saying the referee played a role, but coming out of this, do you feel more like, do you, do you feel more that the thorns, deserved a win and the referee took it from them or, or do you feel like the draw is sort of how they played what they deserve to end up with well I think you can't I don't think you can blame a result on a referee because any good team is going to play with what they're given and in this game the teams were given a lot of leeway to just pound the hell out of each other yeah. so you know you I think you have to credit Sky Blue, they came in with a game plan where they were going to really try to disrupt the Thorns and play a very physical game. And I think I think it worked. I think the Thorns clearly looked really frustrated. And if the rever- referee isn't going to call it, Sky Blue is going to push it. And I think we have to give credit to Kaylin Sheridan. I thought she had a good game in goal for Sky Blue. She made a couple of important saves. Sky Blue has also looked a lot better since they fired their coach, Denise Reddy. So I don't know if you can just blame the referee for this. I think you have to give Sky Blue a little bit of credit. They have looked better. I'm interested to see whether this is a performance that is kind of showing that in the grand scheme of things, Sky Blue is finally improving and they're on an upward trajectory, or if this is just sort of a blip and it is a weird game. And, you know, maybe if some calls had gone differently, maybe they wouldn't have gotten uh, that result that they got. Um, But I mean, like everyone always says, you have to, you know, play the game that you're given and the referee kind of made it a free for all. Yeah, I think that the Thorns have had a lot of trouble historically with Sky Blue, and I think that's a bit strange uh, given where Sky Blue has finished in the standings. I think Sky Blue did a good job to stay organized on defense, and the Thorns didn't do a good enough job of breaking Sky Blue down. Obviously, Mitch Purse uh, got into the box, made Sky Blue make tackles that should have maybe gone a different way, but... The Thorns still only put three shots on target in that game. They get 19 shots, but only can challenge uh, the goalkeeper a few times. I-, I think they have to be a little bit disappointed in-, in sort of their attacking performance. They have to be disappointed in the goal they conceded. They really seemed to fall asleep for a few minutes there. Sky Blue had a chance right before they actually scored that could have been came close to being a goal as well. And, and so for whatever reason, I don't-, I don't know if you have a theory, uh, the Thorns don't seem to always play their best against Sky Blue. And yeah, Sky Blue was organized on defense. Uh, that They put in a pretty good performance, but I don't think this is a very good team. I, I don't think we're going to see a sudden improvement in Sky Blue. I, I think this is more of how the Thorns came out and played against them. Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes trends that we see in sports are just coincidences. You know, I think that there can be correlation and that doesn't necessarily mean causation so is sky blue better matched up against the thorns I don't know I mean it could be a coincidence I think 
Also, when a team comes into Providence Park, I think sometimes they play better, especially a team like Sky Blue where, you know, uh, their home environment is not <laughs> the best in the league, to put it lightly. Um, you know, they, they come into a place like Providence Park where the atmosphere is electric. I think that can kind of push teams a little bit to play up. Um, so I, I think that could be part of it. And I think Mark Parsons has said, and, you know, people at the Thorns have said that they think that their opponents, when they come into Providence Park, have their best games because the atmosphere is electric. And even though the fans are cheering for the Thorns, it's still the sort of environment that can get teams amped up. So I feel like maybe that could be part of it. Also, like I said, I, I think Sky Blue has looked better since uh, they made the coaching change. Um, I think Sky Blue looked the best they have and you know for parts of that game than they have in the past couple years and like I said I think it could mean that there is an upward trajectory that the team is getting better because Sky Blue has had a couple of really uh, dismal seasons it's been dark days for Sky Blue so they might be turning it around and, and it might just be the timing that the Thorns faced up against them at the point where Sky Blue is getting better. But that's not something we're going to know until the season continues and we see if Sky Blue has actually turned things around or if they just kind of got a fluky good result against Portland. (laughs) Yeah, uh, well, so I guess we'll have to see what direction Sky Blue goes in. A team that we know is better than Sky Blue is Rain FC. (laughs) The Thorns will head to Tacoma, not Seattle, on Wednesday to play the Rain at 7 p.m. Thorns U.S. Women's National Team players are back. They were in training. Mark said they all four of them will be fully available for this game and shouldn't miss any more games this season. I'm interested in, and I don't know if you know an answer to this, we we haven't seen Megan Rapino on the NWSL injury report, but we also haven't seen her back with the rain. Do you think she's going to play in this game? I think they actually put out a new injury report where she was on it. So... That's going to be a problem. <laughs> Mega Rapino's going to be out. I think that Seattle was probably really kind of ho- hoping and expecting that she would be back because just a few weeks ago, Jess Fishlock tore her ACL. She's out for the season. And I don't know if the Rain have fully sort of figured out how to play without Jess Fishlock. But now they were expecting Mega Rapino to be back. She's not going to be back. That's another setback. I mean, Mega Rapino. We all watch the World Cup. She is an impactful player who changes games. So I think this is going to be difficult for the rain. Their injury list has 10 (laughs) players on it. They're one shy of being able to field a best injured (laughs) 11. So, yeah, I, I think this is a very winnable game for the Thorns. Yeah, I mean, you look at some of these big injuries the Reign have had this year. I mean, Michelle Betos, uh, obviously people in Portland will remember her. Yeah. Um, she goes out with a tough injury early season. Jess Fishlock goes out. At the same time, I, I think that injury to Fishlock happened right before the Reign last played the Thorns at Providence Park. They ended up coming in here and beating the Thorns in July. Neither team had their national team players, so the Thorns will have the, the U.S. Women's National Team players back. But obviously the rain ha- have gotten that result against Portland this year. So, so what are you expecting from this game? You think it's going to be a tough one for Seattle or, or you think going on the road is going to be a, a bit tough for Portland? Well, it's up the road, right? <laughs> it's up yeah. the I-5. So um, I, don't, I, I think this is probably going to be a tough match for the rain. Just, just looking at the injury report that they have, yeah. they're missing so many good players and the Thorns are going to have all their best players back. And, you know, we talked about it in previous podcasts, um, how are the Thorns going to play when they have all their players back? And I was a little worried that maybe they'd have to kind of re-figure out their chemistry again, kind of figure out their identity again. But what we saw is that they played really well when their national team players were back. So I think having... You know, Tobin Heath, Lindsay Horan, Emily Sonnet, that is going to be a big boost um, for the Thorns and, you know, obviously Adriana French. So um, I think that the Thorns 
are in a better position to win this game. They have the personnel. I, I'm just a little worried for the rain, how they're going to figure this out without having Megan Rapinoe, without, without having so many of their players. I mean, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think that it's always tough against the rain, but I, but I also do think that you saw the game. We saw the game against Houston. We saw the Thorns score five goals and how easy they made that look. And I, I think that, yes, Houston – has a poor defense that that's very clear but I think it's also a compliment to the players that the Thorns have when they're at full strength and the way that players like Tobin Heath and Lindsay Horan are playing right now and then you combine that with Christine Sinclair who has scored I think in the last four games so I think the Thorns have a lot of attacking power when they're firing on all cylinders and it doesn't look like if you just look at the Houston game or even really the Utah game that they're going to struggle to get that chemistry back. So I think this is a good opportunity for them to pick up a win on the road. I also think that now that the national team players are all back, that they don't have to worry about players coming in and out, at least in terms of missing games, they can really start building to the team they want to be on the last day of the season and heading into playoffs. Yeah, and I think sometimes it just comes down to who has the better players. That's something I talked a lot about with the Timbers last season. You know, they have Sebastian Blanco, Diego Valeri. Um, They have maybe the best players on the field in any given game. I think when you look at this matchup, the Thorns clearly have the best players that are going to be on the field in this game. And sometimes I think that just makes all the difference. It's just... The Thorns quality, I think they should be able to beat the rain. Well, on Sunday, uh, I think it's going to be a little bit more of a question on whether the Thorns are the team that has the better players on the Mm. field. Full-strength North Carolina versus full-strength Thorns Sunday, 12 p.m. Winner of that game, depending on how Wednesday goes, is very likely going to move into the NWSL Shield lead. Who do you think has that? Who, Who, at least me, we're not doing predictions yet, but... We saw how much the Thorns struggled with North Carolina last year. Mm-hmm. We haven't really seen it at full-strength North Carolina against the full-strength Thorns this year. Has anything changed for you from last season? Yeah, I think that the Courage haven't looked as unstoppable as they did last season. And, you know, obviously they've been missing some of their best players during the World Cup. But I think players like Abby Ursag, Jaylene Hinkle, McCall Zerboni – These were league best players last season, and I don't know if they have looked quite as dominant this season. So I see some cracks of vulnerability where I think the Thorns should be able to score some goals on them. When you look at the quality the Thorns have in the attack and the fact that I think defensively North Carolina just hasn't looked like it's executing as well as last season and the players aren't having the amazing seasons that they had last season, I'm not saying that North Carolina still isn't a very good team, and those aren't very good players, but I just don't know if they've been at the level of last season. So, um, you know, we've, we've talked about the Thorns not being able to match up well against the Courage, and I wonder if that might be less true this year just because I don't think the Courage have been playing as well. I mean, that might change. You know, like you mentioned, they're, they're going to get all their players back, and now it's going to be sort of smooth sailing. They're going to have the same team together. Um, but for this game, I don't know. I, I feel like this is a game where maybe the Thorns can kind of prove that North Carolina doesn't have their number anymore. Yeah, I think this is an opportunity for the Thorns to make a statement. I think North Carolina had sort of a career year. A lot of those players had career years last yeah. year. And even if those are talented players, you're not necessarily going to have that perfect storm year after year. I mean, mm-hmm. There's a reason why with many of the same players, the Thorns were able to win uh, the NWSL championship against North Carolina the year before. So obviously some personnel changes, but a lot of consistency for both teams from last year. I think the Thorns still have to prove that they can beat or, or even go toe-to-toe with a full-strength North Carolina team because they didn't do that last year. Mm-hmm. But I think just based on how they're playing, how North Carolina is playing, I think they're the fact that they probably spent a lot of time looking at what went wrong from last year and how they can learn from it, I think they're better positioned to do that. But they're going to have to prove it on Sunday. So let's move on to listener questions. We have one from Donna who asks, why hasn't Caitlin Ford had a bigger offensive impact for the Thorns? Yeah, I think it's tough. She hasn't had a ton of time when she's been healthy to really prove herself with the Thorns. I I think 
last season, she wasn't at full strength coming back late last year. I, so I, I kind of give her a pass on that. I think early this season, ahead of the World Cup, she was actually playing really well for the Thorns. And it looked like this might be a breakout year for her. The World Cup, uh, she obviously featured for Australia. They had a disappointing tournament. She scored, I think, one goal, uh, one big goal during the tournament. But since coming back, I, I mean, yeah, she hasn't been able to regain that starring spot. I, I think it's tough because Midge Purse has shown so well. And, and some of the things that Caitlin Ford is supposed to be good at, getting in behind defenders, using her speed, I think Midge Purse has done really well. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to take her out of the lineup with the way she's playing. Uh, even you look at the Sky Blue game, even though she doesn't score, just in terms of setting up those chances, forcing Sky Blue to make tackles that should have been penalties. You can't really take Midge Purse right, out right now. You can't really take Haley Rasso out. And, and so, one, there's not really a spot for Caitlin Port in this lineup right now. And, and so if she's playing, it's coming off the bench or playing one game and then maybe sitting out the next game. She's not really getting that consistency to sort of build the chemistry with the players around her. And then, yeah, I, I mean, I think she has been a little disappointing. The The, the hope was that she's a young player that, that has a lot of talent and is going to come in and be a difference maker immediately. And right now she she can't even really get into the lineup with, with all players available. So I don't know if there's a specific reason for it, but she definitely hasn't lived up to the potential the Thorns want to see from her. But she also hasn't had a ton of opportunities to, to prove whether she can get there. Yeah, and I think Mitch Purse had a really good game against yeah. Sky Blue. Even though, you know, she, she didn't score, she uh, was drawing what should have been penalties, and she was really active. And I think what we saw in that game is that Maybe Midge Purse is sort of the better fit for the way the Thorns want to play. Midge Purse's ability to get him behind back lines. I mean, what I would say is just because Caitlin Ford hasn't gotten a ton of goals, I I don't think that means she hasn't had an impact. I think where maybe Ford uh, excels a little bit more, I think... She's better at hold-up play than a player uh, like Midge Purse, I think. And, um, I mean, it, does, it doesn't count for much, maybe, but she has two assists this season, which is second in the Thorns right now. So um, she's had an impact. I think I agree with Jamie that I, I think people were looking for maybe more of an impact than we've gotten. But I still think there's a lot of time for Ford to push for that spot. I think competition between Midge Purse and Caitlin Ford right now is a really good thing for both players. Um, So we'll see who wins that competition. All right. Uh, RTH wants to know, this is a U.S. Women's National Team question, so I will let you answer it. Uh, (laughs) If the CBA specified four games for the victory tour, why is the U.S. Women's National Team playing a fifth game at the height of the NWSL playoff race. Obviously, that's why the national team players were gone for the Sky Blue game this weekend. They were playing the first game of the victory tour and missed games throughout the NWSL for it. Well, I think the reason can be summed down to one word, money. The U.S. Soccer Federation wants to make money, and playing a game as soon as possible after the World Cup ends is the best time to draw people to a game and try to make money. For the U.S. women's national team players who agreed to play this game outside of a FIFA window, they get a bonus for playing in these games. And, um, you know, equal pay has been a chant that we've been hearing at Thorns games. There's been a lot of conversation about the compensation for U.S. women's national team players. I can't really begrudge them for wanting to cash in and get a bonus by playing an extra game. It's, you know, a good chunk of money for the players at a time when this is when they can try to cash in. There's only one World Cup every four years. In another year, in another two years, there are not going to be these opportunities to get these bonuses. So that's why the players agreed to it. And it's also scheduling. There are only so many FIFA windows. There are only so many, you know, stadiums available, all these sorts of things. There are a lot of factors that go into scheduling. And I think it was probably just easier to go outside a FIFA window than try to make it work during a break. But I think generally, it can be boiled down to money, probably. I think with what you were saying, with it being this time is the best time for them to capitalize. I I think had they waited till the end of August, where I think the first uh, FIFA window is, 
that just would have been a lot of time from the World Cup. And so I, I think they wanted to remind people that they're around and this victory tour is happening before it kind of fell off people's minds. Yeah, I agree. So uh, our last Thorns listener question comes from Anissa, Anissa, not sure how to pronounce it. I apologize. Speaking of pronunciations, though, she asks, what role will Cernogorsevich play the rest of the season? Yeah, I I don't know. I, I don't know that it's going to be much of a role. I, I think mm. that Cernogorsevich had a chance during this World Cup window to, to prove that she was an important part of this team and an indispensable piece of the attack. And, and the player that did that was Mitch Purse. Cernogorsevich had the opportunity to come in, be that player that could score goals or be that creator in the midfield. She's played in both positions and she just hasn't been effective. I, I, I just am not sure with the full attack here when we're talking about players like Caitlin Ford and Mitch Purse battling out for positions and, and those players not even both able to get on the field and players like Gabby Seiler coming into the midfield and stepping up there. I just don't see a role right now for Sorna Gorchevich. And I, I don't know what that means heading into to next season or, or beyond because I just don't think she's lived up to expectations here. Yeah, I think if there's anything she has going for her, it's that she is someone who can play more positions than maybe anyone else on the team. I mean, she's played as a fullback. She's played as, yeah. as an attacker. She offers some utility depth that could be useful, especially, you know, knock on wood, if, if the Thorns have to deal with some injuries or some issues. Um, her versatility makes her a valuable player to have on the roster. But in terms of a starting role, yeah, I, I agree with Jamie. I don't really see one for her, but um, I think her versatility alone kind of makes her a useful depth piece to have. All right, let's hit predictions. Uh, we have four games to predict, so a lot, let's, of games. a lot of games this week. We'll have a lot to talk about next week. Let's get <laughs> to it. The first one's going to be Timbers versus Minnesota in U.S. Open Cup. That's Wednesday at 5 p.m. Caitlin, what do you think? So I have a 1-0 Timbers win. I'm really going out on a limb here because I didn't think they looked that good over the weekend, but I think they're going to turn it around, and I think that Sebastian Blanco – the Iron Man, who cannot be stopped. I don't think he needs to be rested ever. I think he's going to score a goal. I'm going to go with the 2-1 loss. Uh, I think Minnesota's at home. They're going to probably have Quintero coming back after yeah. being suspended over the weekend. The Timbers, I'm just not sure if they're going to be able to get a win with potentially making a few lineup changes coming out of Sunday. So 2-1 loss, but I am going to go with a Bobesy goal because he didn't start Sunday, and he's probably going to play a big role in this game. The next one would be coming up right after that. So if you want a big Wednesday of watching soccer, Thorns vs. Rain, that's Wednesday at 7 p.m. What do you have? So I have the Thorns going up to the – it's not Seattle. I keep wanting to say Seattle. It's Tacoma. <laughs> um, going, up, uh, going up north. And I think the Thorns are going to get a 1-0 win. And I'm trying to get less specific with my side bets. So I'm going to not pick who, but I'm going to say that someone is going to get a red card. All right. That'll be interesting. It'll be we'll fun. See. Could Shake be on any up. team. Could be anybody. Yeah. It's a little broad, but <laughs> red cards aren't like super yeah, common, no, especially true. not in the NWSL where referees do not give people red cards or penalties. So <laughs> I think I'm going out on a limb. Yeah. I actually think that's going out on more of a limb than I am. I am going with a pretty low level of difficulty uh guess i am gonna go with a 2-1 win I, I do think knowing that you know rapino is probably gonna be out and all the injuries seattle has i think that the thorns are gonna be able to get the job done and this is probably way more likely to happen than a red card i'm gonna go with a Lindsay haran goal i could see it good yeah. bet of course she had 13 last year so i think, I think, I think <laughs> right, it's yeah. pretty low difficulty um next game is going to be timbers hosting Vancouver on Saturday. What do you have? So I'm feeling very optimistic. I think the Timbers are going to prove they can get around a bunkering team. Vancouver happens to be a pretty bad bunkering team. 3-0 win for the Timbers, and I'm going to say Paredes is going to score a goal. All right, I'm going to go 2-0 win, so I also think they're going to find a way around a bunkering team. It's just going to be slightly less decisive than yours. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Marrera coming forward and, and getting a goal. Mm. 
So they're not going to make all the changes that I talked about to accommodate Brian Fernandez. Okay. <laughs> I mean, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Given the predictions that I've had recently. Yeah. That probably means they are going to make those changes. <laughs> All right. The last game of the weekend is going to be a really big one. Thorns versus North Carolina, probably for whoever's going to be in the lead in the NWSL Shield coming out of that game. What do you think is going to happen? So I I don't think that game is going to decide what we want it to decide. I think it's going to be a 2-2 draw. And I'm going to say that someone, again, trying to get a little less specific on my side bets, I'm going to say someone is going to score an own goal. I'm going to go with a 3-2 win. I think it is going to be a little bit more exciting for Thorns fans. And I think Tobin Heath's going to have two assists in this game. Ooh, that's going to be a fun game. I can't wait to watch yeah, Tobin Heath get two assists. I think 3-2 win, Heath two assists. This, Yeah, I, I'm really predicting a fun game, so I'm yeah. looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, before we go, let's hit the fantasy update in our head-to-head league. We have in third place the Perpendiculars. That's Roy. We have in second place, just sloppy, sloppy, sloppy. <laughs> That's Steve. <laughs> um, and in first place, Mark, who runs this league for us, Flicking Portland PTSC. Uh, he is still in first place in the head-to-head league. In our open league, third place, we have the Wooferhampton Woofs. That's Sinarsi. In second place, we have Wooks score more goals. That's Robert. And in first place, uh, we still have Portland Tobin FC. That's B. Uh, there's a few teams playing double games this week for, for those uh, people playing fantasy. New York City FC and Houston are, are probably players you're going to want on your teams. Um, and we'll be back next week with the fantasy update. We'll also be back next week with the podcast. That's all we have for today. We are Soccer Made in Portland. You can find us every week on Oregon Live and Stumptown Footy. You can also subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. And until next week, take care. Take care.